Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's Saturday, December 24th, Christmas Eve. It's good to have you here with us this morning for our congregation of prayer, a guide for daily meditation prayer around God's Word. Uh, I wasn't necessarily going to do anything, but here we are. And uh, I thought what we'd do today is actually uh, read through all of the Old Testament and Epistle readings for um, 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and Christmas Day, and uh, give you some connections between them, but also uh, towards the gospel text for the day. The gospels are actually some probably some of the most familiar gospel texts that you know, Luke chapter 2 in particular, but even Matthew 1 and John chapter 1. So uh, we have the three birth stories from the three, of, three evangelists that record Jesus' birth. Uh, St. Mark omits Jesus' birth. John's birth story, of course, puts Jesus uh, before creation. <laughs> and uh, his account of the actual incarnation and birth of Jesus is one verse, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, verse 14. But uh, regardless, that's our birth story for Christmas Day. And Matthew will be at 7 p.m. Luke chapter 2, the one that uh, most, maybe probably many of you know by heart, is the gospel for Christmas midnight or Christmas dawn, depending on when you celebrate it. There is a, yeah, there is the fourth service option there, which is Christmas dawn, which repeats mostly um, Christmas midnight with uh, a couple of brief changes. But we'll, we'll actually look at the text for Christmas dawn as well, the Old Testament text, which doesn't repeat, which is from Micah. All right, so let's pray. Maybe, hold on a second. There we go. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, memory verse. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, verse 5. And our psalm for the week, Psalm 85. Lord, you are favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Catechism for the week, fifth and sixth petition. Fifth petition, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition 
that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Sixth petition. And lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. All right. So I see you checking in on the chat. We've got Karen, Gus and Eileen, Vicky's on YouTube, Don and Karen on back on Facebook. Uh, Mom's there. Chris is there. All right. Good to have you here for prayer this morning. So, um, prophecies and fulfillment. I think that would, might be a way that you think of uh, the Old Testament um, texts, prophecies being fulfilled in the Gospels. Now, of course, Luke, both Matthew and Luke in particular uh, do cite explicitly um, the fulfill, that they are fulfilling, that they are recording the fulfillment, I should say, in Jesus of these Old Testament prophecies. But it's worthy, worth us hearing those prophecies um, as well. And then, of course, the epistles are the apostolic preaching or teaching on um, those gospel stories. All right, so uh, Christmas Eve, all right, the first two readings here, Isaiah 7. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God, and ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. All right. So the virgin or the young maiden, depending on how you want to translate that. Um, virgin, of course, referring to uh, St. Mary. And conceive and bear a son. So the promise of the son uh, we've talked about that throughout the week as we looked at our devotions, especially the promise of a son to Eve, right? The seed who would crush the serpent's head, the promise of a son to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Um, the son promised to David, the king who would reign upon the throne of David forever, right? So, and here again to Ahaz of the house of David, another king, he shall bear, you shall bear a son, and notice the name and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Right? Now, Matthew is the gospel text for this evening at 7 o'clock, and of course, Matthew explicitly cites this text and says that this is being fulfilled uh, by Jesus in the manger. Right, So he is the fulfillment of this prophetic word. Uh, I We don't actually include, I always feel like we should keep going, <laughs> or either go back or go forward, right, um, for context. So uh, let's do that. Isaiah 7. Let me tell you what comes uh, right after. Well, right before this, um, Isaiah is sent out to meet Ahaz at the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the Fuller's Field, right? And this is in the midst of uh, a war coming out against Jerusalem by uh, Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Remelah. A king of Israel going up against Jerusalem. So even their own brothers from the north are coming to wage war against Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the king, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. 
so many generations after David. And so this promise is given in the midst of um, this kind of, well, this warfare, right? And I think we miss that context that when, uh, for example, when the angel, as we heard yesterday in Luke, proclaims um, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill among men, the idea that that peace is the end of warfare is right here in Isaiah as well. Um, and, and in that way, maybe John Lennon didn't get it, get it quite entirely wrong in his Christmas song, uh, peace on earth, meaning the, the war is ended. Um, not, of course, not Vietnam. That's not the war we're talking about. It's the, the warfare of, of men with God, right? Well, and also of, of Satan and his host, right? That that war is ended in the person and work of Jesus, right? Our sins, uh, sins foul reign is ended even. Um, so, so Isaiah makes a promise that, um, what is, what is the promise? Let us go. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass, right? That the city be uh, destroyed by these two Kings. Actually, um, they will be broken within 65 years. Ephraim will be broken. So it will not be a people, right? So, so then, um, the prophet says, ask the Lord of a sign. And this is the sign that he gives, right? You shall call his name Emmanuel. Then listen to what comes after this. I think this is helpful. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse evil and choose the good. For before the child, so very another name for Jesus, shall know t- from Matthew to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. All right, so that's also fulfilled then by both. What two kings will forsake um, Judah, Jerusalem, Bethlehem? all of that area, that would be Caesar Augustus and King Herod, right? Uh, We have no king but Caesar, of course, at Jesus' own trial. Uh, Herod, of course, murdering the infants there. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your father's house. So then there's the the whole judgment that will come and the exile, right? And then um, he makes the promise again of redemption that will come after the exile, all right, with another prophetic word. So that's the context for you. So it is very much in the sense of a hostile uh, world that is at animosity with with God, ultimately, but with especially with God's word and his and his word incarnate then in the person of Jesus. And we, I think, we forget that Christmas has that that um, invasive, even conflicting message, right? And uh, especially our secular celebration of Christmas is at odds, of course, with the church's celebration and namely with the celebration of God's word, All right? We give gifts to one another, but we fail to receive the gift that comes from Jesus, namely his forgiveness, life and salvation in, in church, right? So family takes priority over the family of God or um, gift giving takes priority over receiving the gifts of God, right? So uh, that warfare is still at, at work. Right? Um, speaking of love for one another and gathering together in Christian assembly, the epistle for uh, seven o'clock tonight is First John chapter four. Beloved, let us w- love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God, was manifested toward us, or made revealed towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Now that's obviously Christmas. And this is love, not that we loved God, but but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is, um, the blood atonement for our sins, right? So he was born to die. It's right there in 1 John 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us or completed in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. Right? So we talked about that yesterday with the shepherds. Um, that first the shepherds hear, then they believe, then they confirm, and then they, they bear witness into the world. Right? So same here. We testify, we bear witness that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So not only the way to celebrate Christmas, um, but the purpose of Christmas uh, liturgy is in part not only to receive the gifts of Jesus, as we do you know, every Sunday, uh, but, but in particular to proclaim the gift of Jesus' gifts, Jesus as gift, I should say, um, into the world, to, to bear witness. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, namely, Jesus born to die for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Of course, John here in his first epistle has in mind um, the confession of Jesus himself in John, John's gospel, John 3, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Right, just as uh, we should probably actually go back a verse. Right, just as um, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Right, so there, Jesus confesses that to be saved is is actually um, for the Son to die, right, and for us to look upon Him and receive Him for our forgiveness by His Word and Sacrament. That's what love is. That's the love of God for us. Right. So uh, it's fitting for us then to celebrate Christ. Christmas, as we say, or Christ's Mass, meaning um, his divine service. That's what it means to recognize Christmas, is to have divine service. I know it doesn't seem um, all that unique or different, and it is, actually, because we'll sing different hymns than we usually do, um, especially at midnight. There's going to be the, the, you know, the ritual of the candles at the end, um, recognizing Christ as the light who has come into the darkness. But um, but also, it's actually, it should be quite ordinary for us, too, to just be in Christian assembly and to receive his gifts, particularly on Christmas, um, but also um, not so particularly uh, every Lord's Day, right? Because that's how God, that's, what, that's who our God is. He is God with us, Emmanuel, um, to forgive us. So that's 7 o'clock. Uh, and uh, there's more that can be said about Matthew, but you'll have to wait for the sermon for that. <laughs> John has always been my, the favorite book of the Bible, says Chris. And uh, she also says, these verses always gives me so much faith and hope all wrapped up in these. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, John, uh, John is interesting because he has, he, he's thinking or, or confessing very, what do you want to say? Not abstract, but, but high level thinking, right? Um, trying to confess really the, the mystery of Christ's incarnation, his love for us, his suffering and death for us, but he does it in yet in, in such simple ways. And if, um, if you read Greek, Actually, John, First John, is some of the easiest Greek to read in the whole the whole uh, Bible. So it's actually the easiest to translate as well, right? Uh, so it sounds it sounds like high level thinking, but actually John communicated it or wrote it down in very very basic Greek. Right? So he's confessing the you know the the beauty and the the magnificence of the incarnation, and yet does it in a, in a quite simple and, and elegant way, right? So I appreciate that too. All right. Speaking of light and darkness, again, that's the theme of midnight, uh, which we celebrate at 10 o'clock, 
I mean, I suppose we could have it at midnight, but uh, well, that would require you to say, "Hey, pastor, let's let's have the let's have the divine service at eleven or or and then finish at midnight." Perfectly fine with that. Uh, either way, I'm going to not have much sleep, so it doesn't matter actually whether it's ten or eleven. It's past my bedtime either way. All right, uh, Isaiah nine. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor as in the day of Midian. For every warrior sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All right. So the people walked in darkness. And it says specifically what darkness we're talking about. Um, Just like we hear in Psalm 23, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There it is, right? So what is the darkness? What's the thick pall that's covering the people? I use that word pall intentionally. It is the shadow of death, right? So Jesus comes with life in the midst of death. And that's another theme of Christmas. We'll we'll hear that um, on uh, the 28th with the murder of the holy innocents, right? In Bethlehem. Okay. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, there's the, the uh, expansion of the gospel into the world, right? Multiplying the nation. And um, also then the warfare language is being brought to an end, right? Where we have the uh, yoke of burden is being broken. The staff, the rod of the oppressor is broken. The sandals and the garments uh, in, that are bloody from war are burned and used for fuel of fire, right? So he comes to bring, again, peace. Peace on earth, goodwill among men, right? So then we have the title again, for a child is born, right? That same title we saw in Isaiah 7. And unto us a son is given, again, Isaiah 7. And now, again, it was spoken in, in chapter 7 to, who's, um, to Ahaz, excuse me, uh, here, uh, what's, what is the context? Yeah, it's just more prophecy from Isaiah, right? It's always interesting that we don't go back. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, right? So again, but we should say where the darkness comes from. Um, and when you, when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living, the law, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it was because there is no light in them. See the context now, right? So where, where is this darkness of death coming from? Consulting words other than the word of God, right? The wizards and the mediums, um, you know, who are speaking on behalf of the dead. And then the consequence on the people is they will pass through it hard pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they uh, will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness, right? Because who are they not listening to? The word of God, right? 
listening to their own word, right? Of course, then, um, but God does not leave his people in that condition. Um, He will deliver them, but not until after uh, great punishment upon Assyria, or excuse me, upon um, Samaria and upon Assyria. (laughs) And then finally, at the end of chapter 10, the returning of the remnant of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob, because Jacob's going to be oppressed as well, will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people, O Israel, be the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness, for the Lord God of hosts will make a determined end in the midst of their land. All right, so again, you have that deliverance theme, right? It's right here, uh, the promise of who is the deliverer, the child, the son, the uh, prince of peace, the mighty God, the wonderful, the counselor, right? Um, the promised son of David who would reign upon his throne forever, right? But it's <laughs> it's going to come through uh, great, um, great repentance, great struggle, right? Because we hold on to false belief, we hold on to uh, that darkness, we hold on to false words uh, quite tightly. And even when our Savior comes, uh, there is this uh, hostility, even with Jesus, that, that Jesus himself overcomes. And that's the promise here from Isaiah, that he will overcome those who are in darkness, right? But he is to be the light, he is to be the one that leads them through, he is the one that has to conquer the darkness, even in our own hearts. All right, so more violence, I suppose. One of the unique things about Christmas is that we actually hear two readings. Um, Christmas Eve, we hear from Titus 2, and then Christmas Day, we hear from Titus 3. Uh, Titus, not a book probably you've read a whole lot of. Uh, it's a pastoral epistle, meaning it's written. It's actually written by Paul um, to Titus uh, to provide instruction for him in his responsibility as pastors. Uh, comment. Isaiah would be so surprised, I think, that we are reading this today. Yeah. I think he would be surprised... Um, only in a sense that we actually don't even have uh, regular readings from from his scroll. Um, maybe he'd be surprised that the Jews read the entire scroll. You'll know that uh, Isaiah, you know, is considered one of the major prophets, along with Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel. Maybe, maybe Daniel. I think Daniel is considered part of the Book of the Twelve. Can't remember. All right? Yeah. No, Daniel is considered a major prophet as well. That these prophets, especially Isaiah. Uh, were found, um, he is found to be really the preeminent after Moses prophet. Uh, We know this because, for example, at Qumran in the excavations, there was preserved there a complete scroll of Isaiah. We know this because um, the uh, the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip after our Lord's resurrection, the eunuch was traveling uh, back to um, Ethiopia with a full scroll, uh, perhaps came with it, or he actually purchased it when he was there. Uh, A full scroll of Isaiah adjusted for inflation, I don't know, maybe it'd be about $2,000, right? So quite, it'd be quite expensive to pay the um, the scribes to to make the copies. But uh, you note there that that the queen, Queen Candace, desired a copy, um, and the the Essenes at Qumran, they had a full copy. So Jesus himself reads from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue when he's in is he in Capernaum, I believe, right? So even even a you know relatively mid-sized town, 
in North and Galilee had a full school scroll of Isaiah, right? So I think they regularly read from Isaiah to answer that question, right? But it is appropriate to read this and then recognize the fulfillment is in Luke 2, right? All right, so Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared or been revealed to all men, that's all people, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. All right, this might seem to be an odd reading to hear at Christmas time, this emphasis on good works, but notice what the good work is right in the center of the reading. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. All right, so the angel announced to the shepherds, for example, um, go unto Bethlehem and see, let us go, they said to themselves, right, let us go unto Bethlehem to see this thing which the angel has made known to us, right? It, this is the uh, essential task of every Christian, right, is to to go where Jesus has promised to be found, where he has promised to reveal himself to us, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? Where is that? Well, of course, that's divine service. That's Christmas, <laughs> Christ's Mass, to receive uh, forgiveness of sins, to redeem us from all our lawless deeds, to make us holy, that is to set us apart and, and make us clean, that is through our baptism, as his people who receive his name upon our foreheads, right? who are now zealous right, for the good work of hearing God's word and keeping it. Right? By the way, the, uh, we don't get to define our own good works. <laughs> uh, the Bible defines both what is contrary to his word, right, by, by the law, and it also defines what is a good work, that is a work from God, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. So think here of the third article of the creed, right, what are the good works that God has prepared for us from um, before the foundation of the world that we should live in? that we would be called by the gospel, enlightened with his gifts of word and sacrament, sanctified, set apart by his word to be his holy people, uh, and then kept in the true faith until he comes again. Right? That is the good work that's confessed in, uh, say, for example, the Athanasian Creed at the end. Kind of a controversial statement. Uh, Whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity, right? That we receive his word, set apart by his word, and kept in, his, in the faith of his word until he comes again. Right? So, uh, you are brought to church at Christmas to receive um, the good news of Christ born for you, to redeem you from the law, born under the law, to redeem you who are under the law, which we'll hear t- that co- that's coming up, getting ahead of myself, right? Um, and it's actually Jesus himself who keeps you in his word and keeps you in church, right? And returns you to his word and sacrament regularly, um, that you remain his people, that you remain set apart that you live according to your baptism, holy and righteous in the forgiveness of sins, and then zealous for love, um, both faith, love for God and love for neighbor, right? Which is worked in you by that spirit, by the same spirit. Right? So he teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, right? That's part of being set apart, is that now for those who have been born again by water and the word in Jesus, um, we're not the same anymore. And our all of our attempts to try to fit in um, with the ungodly and unrighteous world uh, doesn't make any sense. Like, why? And, and certainly, um, when Christians mistakenly think that we ought to conform not only what we do liturgically or what we, how we pray or how we sing, 
um, but especially how we live, that we need, that we ought to um, assimilate ourselves into into the world because you know we're refugees of a, of a sort and refugees if they want to fit in they need to learn the language and the customs and that sort of thing no not at all actually we're we are exiles and uh, like daniel and his friends uh, we pray uh, as the lord has given us to pray even though we're in a foreign land we confess and we eat and drink what the lord has given us to eat and drink and confess and speak what what he has given us to confess regardless of being um kind of well odd particular peculiar increasingly so now in our, uh, I would say, anti-Christian world. Not just, what, apathetic towards Christian faith, but now um, expressly contradicting Christian faith. Yeah. And that's going to be his work in us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, to say it precisely. All right. As I said, um, Christmas dawn has a set of readings. The uh, epistle and gospel are the same as Christmas Day, but the Old Testament reading is different. So uh, we'll hear that. Micah chapter 5. Yeah. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until that time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land, and when he treads in our palaces, then he will raise, we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. Oh, I guess that part's not going to be heard. Well, there you go. You already heard it. There we go. And this one shall be peace. Uh, okay, so now this story should be a little bit more evocative maybe than it might have been uh, because we just read about Bethlehem Ephrath just oh, maybe a week or so ago, right? With the birth of Benjamin by Rachel, a second born to Rachel, Rachel dying in childbirth in Bethlehem. And if you remember, the, um, it's in that account in Genesis that we learn that it was called Ephrath right? So these are, it's like saying, um, I don't know, both your, both your names, your first and middle name or something like that, or both names for a place. Um, Istanbul, Constantinople, something like that, right? So it's both Bethlehem and it's Ephrath, right? Now, I think the reason for mentioning Ephrath and, ben- and, and Bethlehem together by the prophet here is to remind us of that story um, with Rachel giving birth to Benjamin and dying in childbirth, right? Now, if you remember, that happens while all the other brothers that are alive, so the 10 brothers, have gone to Egypt because of the famine, all right? So maybe maybe uh, Rachel was malnourished, who knows? But anyway, because of the famine, they had gone and they were unknowingly pleading with Joseph, the brother whom they had um, intentionally uh, thought to murder and uh, God had spared him, who was now prince of Egypt uh, and governor over all of Pharaoh's uh, wealth of storehouses full of food, which they had reserved because of the dream, right? You know that whole story. So while that, while they are away, um, Benjamin is left behind, if you remember that story, right? So um, Joseph never actually knew Benjamin, and the, uh, the sons, as well as um, Jacob, have to go into exile into Egypt. So we have exile, we have uh, the need for food, and there's no bread in Bethlehem, 
we have Rachel dying, we have uh, Benjamin being born, and we have Jacob also um, being in a foreign land. So then when you hear about, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel. All right? Now this is of course fulfilled in, uh, in the line and lineage of David, um, who was of course born in Bethlehem as well. Um, David being the, the great-grandson of, of Ruth and, and uh, Boaz, right, who are residents of Bethlehem as well, all right? So there's that promise of the ruler that would reign on the throne forever, for, from everlasting, that was made to David, is fulfilled here as well. So we have both of those stories kind of being brought together. So then we have the childbirth story. Now you understand while birth in Bethlehem is uh, significant, both in prophetic here in Micah, but also, uh, obviously, Jesus' own birth in Bethlehem is meant to remind us of the birth of Rachel and Benjamin there, and how um, even though he was beloved, both Rachel and, and her son and Joseph, Joseph dies, Benjamin um, is the last born to Jacob, and yet um, he is not the Messiah. The Messiah comes by way of Judah. All right, um, let me see. Yeah, and then they're in exile, and then they will return, right? And they will return to the house of bread to be fed by the flock. So, again, house of bread, the language of being fed, but namely fed in G by Jesus and actually with Jesus, right? So Micah's uh, prophecy is is actually quite profound because it's connecting really two narratives, uh, both that of David, um, maybe Ruth and Boaz, and the gleaning and all the harvesting of bread of uh, grain there for bread, and then also with Rachel. Um, and Jacob, and then also the exile in Egypt. It's all right here in this text. It's really beautiful. And all of that is then fulfilled in Jesus for us, who fills us with good things, right? And uh, does so from Bethlehem when he's born. Of course, you can think of the manger and being fed from the manger as well. Yeah. All right. And then, like I said, um, the epistle for Christmas dawn, Christmas day, tomorrow, is also from Titus, this time Titus chapter 3. And this will draw us to uh, the theme of baptism, right? Um, yeah. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, so there's that language of revelation again, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Right? So now we see um, that we are saved, not of our own doing, but according to his mercy and grace, right? which is given to us in baptism, which justifies us before God, makes us right before God, that is through the forgiveness of sins, and also promises us um, that we, like Jesus, who, was, uh, who is the Son of God, we who are in him now are all children of God heirs with him of eternal life. Now, uh, that's not as well connected maybe with the gospel text, but our Old Testament text for, for tomorrow morning that we'll hear is a direct uh, hardline um, connection with the gospel text, which is, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and he was the light of men, right? And the Word of God tabernacled amongst us, and we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So think of that word, he dwelt among us, or he tabernacled among us, is actually the word, uh, in light of what we'll hear here from Exodus 40. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was set up, or raised up, 
So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, and raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it in the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil of the covering, and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting, because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and the fire was over it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. All right. So, uh, Pastor Riley and I on the Band Books podcast, the last couple of weeks we've been discussing uh, here and there, as we've been going through various readings appropriate for Christmas, that um, that the presence of God uh, was was recognized and understood by God's people of old. So God appears and he speaks, and it doesn't seem to evoke the same kind of response as it does, especially in the New Testament, where even if a messenger from God comes, the angel of God appears, or the or, or Gabriel, even speaking um, in a dream, it, it it brings great fear and trepidation upon on, upon the people. Um, in the Old Testament, it's not quite the same. I mean, they they do have a reverential fear, but um, God seems to be with His people all over the place and talking to them and even wrestling with them, like Jacob, right? And it doesn't um, bring them any of that kind of. Uh, it doesn't seem to have any of that kind of fear or terror attached to it. Right? And one of the reasons, of course, is that um, the glory cloud of God, the Kavod Yahweh, that same cloud that, or that same light that appeared around the angel, which we'll hear in um, Luke 2 at uh, the Christmas midnight service, that, that same glory cloud was, was in the tabernacle by night and uh, it was as a pillar of fire by night and a uh, pillar of cloud by day. When, and whenever they moved, it would go along with them. God was with his people um, dwelling among, amongst them, right? And you even see the reflected glory of God in the face of Moses as he comes down from the mountain in Sinai uh, before the uh, the tabernacle. So it does seem like they're completely, not completely comfortable, but uh, aware of God's presence with them. And then, of course, they're they're quite aware when they go into exile and God does not dwell with them and he no longer dwells in the temple. He departs the temple, which we'll hear in Ezekiel uh, when we get back to Bible study uh, after the first of the year. So that God would come and be with his people, that he would tabernacle amongst them, uh, is not all that outrageous of an idea. It's something that would be a part of their institutional memory, but that he would do so uh, being made man, right, incarnate of the Virgin Mary uh, and dwelling amongst his people as one of us. Well, now that is uh, surprising, right? Even though the angel of the Lord often appeared in human form in the Old Testament, um, went before them as a mighty warrior, say, for example, with Joshua, yet now when Christ comes and he's born just like us and he suffers and dies just like us, and and that yet that is God with us, Emmanuel, that's God for us. Um, that is a great mystery. It's quite a and by mystery, I don't mean something that we need to suss out, but something that we confess that uh, is beyond uh, just pure human reason. 
Uh, it is reasonable if you know the mind of God, right? Uh, God's motivation, of course, is love. And having loved us, then it seems completely reasonable that he would give his son for us, right? Um, and yet it's still astounding to us, right? Oh, oh, oh um, love, all oh, love excelling. Oh, yeah, all oh, love's excelling, right? As we sing in the hymn. So God comes and he dwells amongst his people. And that's what, I mean, that's Emmanuel, God with us from Isaiah 9, but uh, even more so that is uh, Christ is the temple, right? Not made with hands. And we are um, living stones, as St. Peter says, who've been built up in him. And together we are um, the body of Christ or joined to the body of Christ through our baptism so that now he dwells um, not only with us, but actually through us and in us. Uh, and we become actually Christ for our neighbor, which is really also mysterious, but incredible thought and good news. All right. So there you go. There's a little tour de force. Um, not looking at, at Luke 2, which we've already done, and Matthew 1, which we've already done throughout the week, um, but looking now at these Old Testament and epistle readings. And there's many more that we could look at. Could have looked at the psalmody as well, but uh, I'll spare you. All right. Uh, let's sing the end. Well, we sang the end yesterday, I think. Yeah, we did. Now let's just sing the hymn. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. It's our last chance, right?
Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, and help us by your might, that the sins which weigh us down may be quickly lifted by your grace and mercy. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy. Pray for the households of our church, especially Jim and Deborah, Carol, Merlin, Jana, Donna, Karen, and Isaac. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for all those who are ill, receiving treatment, or recovering. Pray for our homebound. Pray for our mission of the month, a place of refuge. And we continue to pray with all those grieving, especially this holiday season, with uh, the family and friends of Bev. 
For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. So there's uh, your congregation of prayer for this morning. Hopefully uh, you appreciated hearing all those Old Testament epistle readings here. A little bit of meditation upon them. Uh, It's good to have you with us and you're welcome. Merry Christmas, Michael, to you and to all of you as well. Uh, I hope to see you tonight, uh, 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m. for Divine Services. Uh, The children's program's today at 4.30. (laughs) I'm sure there may be regretting that, but uh, so it is. So uh, the children will uh, share the gospel message with you of Christmas as well. So you have lots of opportunity. Um, Take advantage of as many of them as you can. And uh, and be safe, you know, don't uh, give yourself plenty of time to get here so you can drive, you know, responsibly. Uh, hopefully, it seems like most of the, they're keeping 57, the north-south clean, and SS, of course, is fine because uh, the wind's going east-west. So, yep, see you all later. God be with you all. Merry Christmas. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.